Hi, this is John Harter, and welcome to episode 45 of Valleys of Numenor. Took a bit of a break, you know the Lennon line, life is what happens when you're making other plans. So our plans for this show got a little shuffled. Still not going to do a full Conan of the comics here, but we'll do the end of the cycle first, since it's shorter. We'll take a look at the newest series from Titan Comics and its somewhat surprising success, giving the big two a look at how it's done. Episode 45, Conan the Titan, comics version. Yeah, my intention was to do a semi-comprehensive look at the history of Conan in the comics, then move on to a recap of the new series. Then a little thing called Left Turn at Albuquerque started taking off, so I ended up making sure that one kept up to date, especially with a newer release around Christmas. But I've now gotten ahead a bit there. I have Keep On Grooving plans set for at least the next couple of months, and health issues have moderated. Nothing horrible just needed to be addressed now so they didn't get worse. So time to get back to work here. Now we'll do a brief recap of how we got to this point. Conan the Barbarian hit the mainstream comic world with its October 1970 debut issue by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith. It became a classic groundbreaking run. After 24 issues, Smith left and was replaced by the guy Roy had in mind in the first place to do the comic, Big John Buscema. Its success led to the launching of a black and white magazine, The Savage Sword of Conan, where things could be presented in a more adult fashion, read naked people. These two magazines ran through the 90s when, towards the end of the decade, Marvel decided to give up the license around the year 2000. A few years later, Dark Horse Comics picked it up and started out of the gate strong with the creative team of Kurt Busiek and Carrie Nord. After 25 issues, Busiek was replaced by Tim Truman of Hawkworld fame. Nord left around issue 45 to be replaced by Tomas Giarello. Truman and Giarello worked on a subsequent series, then moved over to do a King Conan one. The main series went through a number of different creative teams that never quite recaptured the magic of the earlier ones. We'll go into a lot of detail on this when we do the full episode. So after a decade, Dark Horse decided to give up the license, and it ended up returning to Marvel. Former Marvel head editor Joe Quesada had said his one big regret in his era was that Marvel gave up Conan. However, by the time they got it back, Quesada was gone, and there was a different mindset at the company of how to approach storytelling. They went right out of the box with not only a Conan the Barbarian revival, but a savage sort of Conan one, this time in color, and an Age of Conan series dealing with other characters from the Hyborian Age. However, with constantly shifting creative teams and no real rationale for what they were doing, after a few years, it all collapsed on itself. With that, Conan proprietor Frederick Malmberg, who is also dealing with a couple of unsuccessful efforts to bring Conan to the streaming world, decided on a smaller company, Titan Comics, to handle a new series. The clear intention in this case was to bring Conan back to his roots. As a writer, they chose Jim Zub. He'd done a couple of runs during the Marvel days that many fans regarded as the most successful issues of its short time back at the company. On art, they chose Roberto De La Torre, 
who'd gained attention as doing a dead-on Buscema interpretation, but had developed his own style. Titan would start off with an issue on Free Comic Book Day in May 2023 to set the stage. In it, Zub and De La Torre would depict the first major event in Conan's life of adventure, the siege and destruction of the Aquilonian outpost of Venarium by the barbaric Camarians. Surprisingly, there aren't that many versions of the actual incident out there. The original series never showed it. There was a savage sort of Conan adaptation of a Howard story that showed its aftermath. It wasn't until the second Conan color series, Conan the Adventurer by Roy Thomas and Raphael Kanan, that this pivotal tale was finally told in full. Overall, the issue bears some similarities to the original Conan the Barbarian number one, The Coming of Conan, in that we see some future events of his life depicted in the pages. This time, the references are very specific. We see the God in the Bowl, Tower of the Elephant, Rogues in the House, and Queen of the Black Coast, where Bailey's Furkini makes the return appearance. The picture in the center seems to be uh, some random battle Conan has with some horrific creatures. The gang over at Swords of Robert E. Howard couldn't quite place it exactly either. The issue ends with Conan setting out for adventure elsewhere. In general, it's a good teaser for what the series would set out to do. Specifically, the creative team said they would not be doing any direct adaptations, but use Howard's material as a springboard. And not just Howard's Conan material. The first year or so would revolve around the Chimerian's interaction with the fabled Black Stone. In fact, the first arc is entitled Bound in Black Stone. The first issue involves Conan and his cohorts meeting up with a female Pictish warrior fleeing some evil army of the dead. It lays the groundwork for both the arc and the series. Conan mentioned his travels, which pretty much match up with the first series of Howard Tales. There was some discussion over whether Conan would trust a Pict so easily, but this was explained in the back of the issue with an essay by an old internet acquaintance, Howard Scholar Jeff Shanks. The first issue's essay briefly explained Howard's history with the Picts, at least what you can lay out on one page. In the second issue, Conan and the Pictish woman Brissa follow the army of the lost, as she calls it. As they're in hiding, Conan reveals a blade he took back in the free comic book day issue. She recognizes it as a Pictish artifact and wants it back. Needless to say, she doesn't get it, but they don't battle it out right then and there. They do, however, engage in some <clears throat> other types of physical activity. Fair to say, current Marvel was not comfortable showing this side of Conan's personality. When they're done, it's actually Conan who wants to talk and find out about her tribe of Picts, which are very unlike the ones he battled in Chimeria. As they travel deeper into Conan's native land, every time they see dead bodies, they aren't really all that dead. At the end, they battle their way to some kind of mountain fortress. In the essay at the end, Jeff mentioned Briss's tribe is the one mentioned in the Howard fragment, Wolves Beyond the Border, just under another name. Issue 3 finds the duo gaining access to the tower where they find a number of Chimerian men imprisoned. After battling more undead, they free the men and decide to split up. Conan will take the healthy men deeper into the tower and find out what's behind all this while Brissa takes the injured to safety. Of course, she doesn't get far before realizing Conan and the other guys will need help. 
and they definitely will since they discover the band creating the Lost Armies in Legion with the ancient sorcerer, Thulsa Doom. Remember, in this world, he doesn't have a voice like Darth Vader. He's from way in the past compared to Conan. The Chimerians decided they've had enough and try to wipe out the cult members. Unfortunately, Conan falls into the pool of green liquid that turns men into zombies. Gonna be hard for him to get out of this one. Well, as they say in Canada, actually, it'll be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Oh, really? Before we get to issue four and find out about that, Jeff's essay goes over a lot of what I've come to call the alternate picked cycle. The main picture cycle revolves around Bran MacMorn. This alternate one is tangentially connected, but sort of makes up its own story, as it were. I consider it the lost race, the little people, children of the night, which actually mentions Bran, and either or both of people of the dark and valley of the lost. So now how does Conan get out of this one? Calling Doe Ex Machina... When you have characters that can exist on many different planes of existence, like Brule the Spear Slayer, you can get out of anything. In this version, Brule is of the same tribe as Brissa, hence the blue makeup around the eyes gets it better than the Pictifarian look that Dark Horse and Dynamite tried a while back. He's the original owner of that sword that Conan found. He also first confronted the monstrosity that would become to be known as the Blackstone. He gives Conan the sword, revives him, and leaves him to battle the demons that inhibit the tower. When he strikes at the piece of the Blackstone under the water, it hurls him back to the surface. The men are stunned to see him, but Conan has no time for it and leaves him against the Army of the Lost. They vanquish them, and as they leave the tower, it collapses behind them. Shades of another tower Conan escaped from just in time. As they prepare to leave, Conan takes out the picture sword to give back to Brissa. The men tell him she returned to the tower and didn't make it out as it collapsed. Of course, all this happened conveniently off-screen, so don't be surprised if we see her again at some point. As the last page shows, the artifact has a strong power to corrupt both the living and the dead. Jeff's essay at the end of the issue fills readers in a little on brule for those who didn't know. So, a very solid arc to start the series with. It immediately staked out a position far more as a successor to the earlier Marvel and Dark Horse runs as compared to the last set of Marvel issues. It may not be as far out as the Glenat issues from Europe that Ablaze has been reprinting, but it's far more than I think a lot of people were expecting. Our happily surprised, it's as adult-oriented as it is. It mixes the older Howard elements into a new concoction that, in lieu of direct adaptations, serves the material well. Now, as of now, we're halfway through the second arc, uh, written by Jim Zub, but drawn by Doug Braithwaite. He has a very different style than Delatore, but very strong in its own way. She'll be finishing up towards the end of February, provided the issues don't slip further, so we'll do a recap of that arc in sometime in March or so. But before then, I'll do what I promised. Next time, it's Conan of the Comics, promise. We'll go over the Marvel three-decade run, Dark Horse's uneven 10 years and the failed Marvel revival, plus a brief look at the first Conan comics, which weren't 
where and when you think they were. That's next time on Valleys of Numenor. Please hit the subscribe button if you like what you're hearing. I'm John Hartjar. Thanks for listening.